It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. live to the Red Zone Sports Report. It is, uh, I was about to say it was Tuesday, September 20th, but it is Wednesday, September 20th. I am Chip Lake. I will be your host this evening, and I am joined once again by some of my esteemed colleagues on the Red Zone Sports Report. Uh, We're joined for the first half hour to recap uh, what was a uh, very interesting weekend. In college football, it's supposed to be a quiet weekend in college football. When we when we signed off on the podcast last week, uh, there were only two games between two top twenty-five teams. Uh, the third game, which was uh, supposed to be the Miami Hurricanes and the Florida State Seminoles, had been uh, canceled because of Hurricane Irma. So the only two games that we had were um, uh, Mississippi State and uh, LSU. Uh, we had where game day was. We're going to talk about it, the first game here in just a minute, Clemson and Louisville. And then uh, we we had uh, the annual early September Saturday game between the Tennessee Volunteers and the Florida Gators. We're going to talk about that game in a minute, too. What an interesting second half of that football game. At halftime of the Florida-Tennessee game this weekend, Paul Feinbaum tweeted, the first half of the Tennessee-Florida game has set college football back 50 years. That's how painful of a game it was to watch in the first two stanzas and then uh, got a little bit interesting after that. Got very interesting after that. We're going to welcome to the show straight off of his obligations at WJOX in Birmingham, Alabama, Mr. Kip Kiefer. Kip, this was supposed to be a quiet weekend in college football. But as we talked about as we got off of the Red Zone Sports Report last week, it didn't quite end up working out that way, did it? No, not at all. And it was a long Saturday of college football because late, late night Saturday, two very compelling games, Texas and USC, who would have thunk that at the Coliseum, comes down to double overtime, a game that the Texas Longhorns, who just two weeks ago surrendered 51 points at home to the powerhouse Maryland Terrapins, go out and take on big, bad USC, the darling of the media and the the, the analyst community, uh, the, the presumed future national champion, and, man, they escaped by the skin of their teeth. And then the second half, when that ended, of Cal and Ole Miss, kind of an unusual matchup going on, 
the shambles that maybe are going to start to emerge of the Rebel program. They had a 16-7 lead at the half, and the Golden Bears shut them out 20 to nothing the rest of the way, and uh, dealt the SEC kind of a disappointing defeat. So what a day of college football it was. It was an incredible day, Kip, and uh, we were going to talk about kind of next week's matchup here towards the end, but since you brought up the USC-Texas game and since you brought up the Old Miss-Cal game, uh, how ironic is it that uh, 3.30 Eastern time this weekend we have a 3-0 Cal Bears team uh, facing off against a 3-0 USC team. Going to be a very compelling and interesting uh, matchup over on the West Coast uh, in the Pac-10, Pac-12. And um, I-, I did not t- get to see the third quarter of the Old Miss game. I had a uh, a guy's weekend uh, golf trip down in Callaway Gardens this nice. weekend. Thankfully, I went on a guy's weekend this weekend and did not go to uh, Auburn University and watch them just dominate the Mercer Bears, which we'll get into in a second. But, um, you know, uh, I uh, I actually fell asleep as uh, Old Miss had uh, taken a 16-7 to lead, and then they had the ball in Cal territory. Uh, certainly looked like they were well in control of that game. I, I woke up about an hour later, just to, uh, just couldn't sleep, and uh, decided I'd turn the TV on and Lo and behold, um, you know, uh, Old Miss was down two touchdowns with a minute and 37 left. So uh, uh, it certainly didn't look like uh, that Old Miss, uh, whatever, or I will say whatever adjustments Cal made at halftime, looks like uh, looks like uh, it did him did him pretty well. Steve Butler, uh, Mr. Savage Burn, is going to join us. For the first hour, uh, around 9, 9.15, we're going to be joined by the Buffalo Bad Boy, and we're going to pivot, and we're going to talk a little bit of NFL football. But, Steve, let me kind of talk to you a little bit about uh, the game of the week, or supposedly was going to be the game of the week, um, up in um, Papa John Stadium right next to Churchill Downs, Louisville, Kentucky, between uh, the Louisville Cardinals and the visiting Clemson Tigers. Louisville went into Death Valley last year and gave Clemson every thing they could handle certainly looked like uh, at a very minimum these teams were um you know uh, if not as evenly matched as they were last year maybe a slight edge to louisville given the fact that um deshaun watson has gone to the nfl and um was a part of the uh, clemson team last year not a part of it this year um lamar jackson uh reigning heisman trophy winner back certainly looked like louisville um you know, looked like Louisville, uh, uh, at a very minimum, Steve, uh, had an opportunity to make this game close. But let's be honest, this game was never close. It was 19-7 to at halftime. The final score was 47-21. to When you look at Lamar Jackson's numbers, they don't look horrible. Um, but if you watch that football game, you know that a, a lot of the a lot of the late completions he had and a lot of the yards that he had were, you know, well after this game was in hand. I think Lamar Jackson, 21 of 42, 317 yards passing, three touchdowns, one interception. He did have 64 yards rushing, but on 17 attempts. So Clemson really kept him in check and it looked like they completely dominated that football team. i got to be honest with you, Steve, after I saw Auburn lay an egg against Mercer, uh, I really thought Louisville looked pretty good at plus three, but boy, was I wrong. Give me your thoughts on uh, this Clemson football team, the Clemson-Louisville game, and is this Clemson team, uh, you know, do they have all the pieces to uh, make another run at a national title? 
Uh, I think they just might, and it's because of their defensive line. To your point, Lamar on 17, he's only had four yards, and for a returning Heisman candidate at quarterback, that's just a, a pretty good job defensively of bottling him up. Let's watch Clemson play in these first two weeks. They might have the best front seven in football. Their defensive line really is after it, and Louisville's defense quite just could not measure up to that. When you've got the kind of pass rush and, and front four that Clemson has, you can put a lot of pressure on the quarterback. Kelly Bryant pretty much had time to throw all day. Um, when you make a freshman quarterback feel that, that comfortable in the pocket, well, he's going to seem like the guy that before if you don't put any pressure on him. So I thought the key to the game is really Kelly Bryant matured a lot from game to the Louisville game. The guy threw for 316 yards, a touch, no picks. He didn't have any real big runs, but he did pop his head in the end zone for a couple of touchdowns. And at the end of the running backs for Clemson averaged almost yards a carry. So if you're going to do that, it's pretty much throw the ball however you want to. Um, if teams can figure out a way to throw up the Clemson rushing game, I think you'll see Kelly Bryant have some uh, more tougher punches. But listen, Clemson's schedule, and because they play in the ACC, if they can get past Miami this year, potentially an ACC championship game, they just back in the next. Yeah, Kip, uh, you know, Steve brought up a good point, and that is, uh, you know, Kelly Bryant's maturity through three games this year. I mean, uh, you know, uh, obviously I watched all of the Auburn-Clemson game. Um, I tried my best to watch all of the Clemson-Louisville game, but it was painfully – it was a painful game to watch. But, you know, Deshaun Watson tweeted out uh, either immediately at the conclusion of the Clemson-Louisville game – or during the Louisville game, you know, he said, look, this, this Kelly Bryant will be better than me. Pretty big statement, pretty humble statement from a, a very good quarterback in Deshaun Watson. But i got to tell you, I've seen, uh, I've seen Kelly Bryant play two football games in college. I'm pretty impressed at what I see. Kip, what do you think? Uh, is this Clemson team set up to make a run at another national title? Are we going to see Clemson and Alabama play for the third straight year? in the NCAA title game? Well, it's certainly a possibility. I, you know, I, I think the odds are against it that somewhere along the line that uh, one of them is going to have some kind of hiccup. It's, it, but, uh, but certainly in the early part of the season, they again appear to be the two best teams. I, I thought uh, Bryant in the, uh, Kelly Bryant in the, in the Auburn game, uh, at a point um, in the, about the second quarter, Auburn was beating him up pretty good. They weren't b- very effective, and then it's just almost almost like something clicked. And from the rest for the rest of that game, he had good command. I was surprised he played. I thought Louisville had a very good chance in that in that game because I thought the Clemson offense going on the road for the first time was still kind of a question mark. Uh, I knew their defense was phenomenal. Uh, Louisville, you just expect Lamar Jackson to do enough to score some points. Uh, but the unit that was that was uh, that I I was aware was maybe a little suspect, but I didn't put enough emphasis on it. And then I had kind of an aha moment middle of the first quarter. The Louisville defense just is not very good. I'd watched the game against North Carolina the week before, and and the Tar Heels had pretty much their own way all the entire game. Uh, Louisville outscored them because Lamar Jackson was responsible for five or six touchdowns. I think the final was 40 to 32. I mean, something in that, in that neighborhood, but the bottom line is the, uh, the, the unit on the field that was badly outclassed was the Louisville defense. 
And that, that, that became kind of the hallmark of the game. So uh, as much as I'm uh, ready to proclaim Clemson, certainly a national championship contender because of their defense, uh, and as good as the offense looked, uh, I, I still want to see Bryant, uh, you know, do it against, because like, let's face it, Auburn's defense did a great job of containing that offense the whole game. It certainly wasn't their fault that they came up on the short end of their trip to Clemson. Um, I, I, I just want to see another quality defense uh, kind of challenges Clemson offense. And, and uh, But the defense is so good for Clemson that uh, it's, it, they're going to be tough to beat. If, if that offense doesn't make a lot of mistakes, they're going to grind out some wins and definitely are going to be uh, a major player uh, in, in this national championship race again. Well, they are. And I, I tell you, I mean, how, how many teams in college football have already beaten – uh, certainly that Auburn team doesn't look as good as we thought they might be, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit, but it was still a big win on the road. And, you know, at the time that Auburn went into Clemson, Auburn was a, uh, I think, number 12, 13 in the country. And then you go on the road the following week, and, you know, uh, the circus follows you, the game day circus follows you, and you win it. I mean, you know, we're September 20th, and, and there's not two teams in the country that has two better quality wins. Than, than the Clemson Tigers do, and so they get a little bit a little bit of a breather. They get Boston College this weekend. Um, you know, they get a couple couple games. They got you know they got they got Virginia Tech. I think the weekend after that. So uh, that Virginia Tech team certainly looks good. And then it looks like uh, they got a little bit of a break until I mean they don't have Florida State and or South Carolina until November. And you know that South Carolina team. Looked pretty good going into noon on Saturday, but man, did they look like not only did they lay an egg against Kentucky, but they were decimated with injuries in that game. So that doesn't look like a team that's going to face them. So, I mean, you look at the way the schedule lines up for Clemson, looks pretty good for them coming in. Of course, you gotta you, you got to worry about a sleeper game, but, you know, when you have a, a defense that is as good as the Clemson defense is, and then you have a quarterback like a Kelly Bryant that's going to continue to grow and grow. you got to like their chances and where they are right now, but we'll see how it plays out. Uh, Steve Butler, Mr. Savage Burn, let me switch to another game in the SEC this weekend. Um, you know, uh, guys weekend for me down at Callaway Gardens. And, uh, you know, after we got off of the links, we were uh, uh, probably watching. I think we probably got home to watch the um, uh, right about at halftime of the Tennessee Florida game. I candidly wasn't really looking forward to watching the Tennessee-Florida game because (laughs) unlike the end of the game, it seems like the Tennessee-Florida game every year, I can watch the previous year's game, and I feel like I'm watching the same game for the last 10 years. It ended a little bit differently. We'll talk about that, but let's talk about a game that happened in Starkville on Saturday night. Um, You know, uh, as we were all kind of putting in our bets for Saturday night, one of the big discussions amongst ten guys that had drank beer all day and and uh, and when we're now eating pizza and chicken wings, trying to figure out how they were going to make money on college football, was you know what was the best way to go on uh, on Clemson, Louisville, on Mississippi State, LSU, and there was quite a bit of a discussion between us on the Mississippi State LSU line. Uh, I liked Mississippi State. I didn't like them as well as I did Louisville. I really liked the Louisville line when I saw how bad Auburn looked against Mercer. I said, if Auburn looks this bad against Mercer, I'm going to take Louisville plus three at home. Uh, Didn't end up working (laughs) out for me. But I did take Mississippi State plus seven and a half at home. And the reason I did was because 
I thought it was going to be a close football game. I was wrong. And I just wasn't a believer that this LSU team led by Danny Edling was going to beat too many people on the road by more than a touchdown. But holy cow, you talk about a one-sided game. I mean, the Mississippi State-LSU game made Clemson-Louisville game look like it was close. Complete and total domination by Mississippi State, 37-7. to um, They outgained LSU 463 to 264. LSU is not set up to come from behind. And, Steve, they certainly did not look like they have the defense that they've had in the past. Give me your thoughts on, uh, on the Mississippi State-LSU game. Is Mississippi State as good as they looked on Saturday? Is LSU as bad as they looked? Or is it just one of those things, one of those freak things that happens during the football season? When you have two teams, then in reality you're probably pretty evenly matched. But on any given day, you know, the pendulum can swing any different direction. Thoughts on Saturday night's game in Starkville? Well, my first all of that is, is one, you know, every now and then you get rare occurrences in the SEC, but through four hours on an SEC football family, what's happened, happened. And in this case, I think it's a little bit of both, Chip. I think number one needs to go back to who else you hired as coach. <laughs> um, that was a horrible, a horrible process, and we could get to that their conversation because that's, that's an animal unto itself. But at the end of the day, they still haven't recruited a quarterback. Uh, they're, they're not as good as they were front. In fact, LSU is a weird combination of having the best offensive lines in the country but no quarterback for a long time. But now their offensive line is starting to struggle. Because if Mississippi State by 160 yards – that's that's a problem, and and they own them. And and give them credit for getting the quarterback team ready to play LSU because you know what a big match is. Mississippi State LSU serious football game, um, and so they know what they were. Getting. And LSU still has those star blue chippers. I just don't think they're very well coached and organized right now. That sideline looked befuddled. There were no answers. You didn't see any energy. You didn't see coaches picking up players. It just looked like blah. And and LSU known for enthusiasm and their and listen everybody make fun of the mad hatter for decision making at least he can get his kids fired up a little bit they were dead i mean and by the way they had turnovers in the game so that goes to show that mississippi state didn't get lucky on turnovers they just beat them up and down the football field for four quarters and at the end of the day you almost had as many penalties for lsu as rushing yards i mean that's coaching and i think horrible coaching and now they're seeing the fruits of that yeah kip i mean steve brings up a good point you know look uh ed orgeron um you know a, a true bona fide cajun gets the job uh after les miles gets filed inter- gets fired interim has some luck has some pretty good luck gets the gig i always had a little bit of doubt as to whether i mean look if Ed Orgeron is going to be a fit anywhere as a head coach, it's going to be in Baton Rouge. There's no question about it. But Ed Orgeron always seemed to me to be the type of guy who was always going to be a um, uh, maybe a situational type coach, a coordinator type coach. I don't know that he's the guy you want leading your program year in and year out. Um, uh, you know, how do you come back after getting beat by 30 points against this Mississippi State team? Well, I mean, let, let's go back to Les Miles' dismissal last year. Why was he fired? 
He was fired because no offensive innovation, uh, no, you know, he was basically given the edict that uh, he needed to energize LSU's attack and change some things. Uh, he didn't have the personnel to do it, and he was fired. So what, what, what happened in, uh, outside of that? What, what else happened? Ed Orgeron was promoted from the staff. Basically, the coaching staff pretty much stayed the same. The personnel is certainly the same, minus Leonard Fournette. Um, so, I mean, where was and – and I've been saying this all season, and I, I said it last week leading up to the game. I thought the, I thought the wrong team was favored in the game. Uh, Nick Fitzgerald's yep. the best player on the field, no question about it. You, know, you had experience with Nick this, uh, this offseason uh, down at the, at the quarterback camp. Uh, he's the best player on the field. I, I, I just wasn't buying. I watched LSU's opening night win against BYU. They grinded out about a 23 to nothing win. BYU's offense is absolutely horrid. It's not, it's, uh, th- this is not back in the days of uh, Robbie Bosco and uh, other guys uh, you know, uh, slinging the ball, Jim McMahon, slinging it around the field for the Cougars. Uh, this is kind of a three yards in a cloud of dust version. And then they played Chattanooga <laughs> last week, and Saturday down south, the website actually gave them an A for their 30 to nothing or 30 to three win or whatever it was. And I, I said, you know, where is all the hype here? They've done nothing to improve their offense. And boy, it, it, it bore out uh, this time. I mean, Ed Orgeron is not the answer to step in and, and, and uh, revitalize a team's offensive approach. Um, I, I, I think people were just in fantasy land. And you know what also bothers me? You mentioned the Florida game the LSU game, every year, just because these teams traditionally have, quote, great defenses, it just drives me crazy that before the first game of the year, well, you know they're going to have a great defense. Uh, no, I don't know that. Uh, yeah, because yeah, they've had some right. great defenses in the past, you know, let's, let's watch them play a few games. A defense, I don't care how many blue-chip personnel guys or how many, how many physical specimens you have, a defense is a, is a unit that's got to be cohesive and work together. Uh, I, I think you hit the nail right on the head. The LSU approach, I mean, everything about the way that team looked on Saturday night was just like, you know, uh, unorganized chaos. And it's, it's uh, yeah. you're, you're getting the, uh, you're, you're reaping what you sow. Look at Missouri, same situation. They, uh, Pinkle quit after a long time, coming off a really disappointing year because of illness. They promote Barry Odom to the head coach, who was certainly – uh, you, you would have to make a strong argument to how to what his qualifications are. They changed nothing else, and now they're an absolute disgrace. So, uh, well, easy, easy now, Kevin. Easy, easy now. Next week at this time, we might be talking about the resurgence of the Missouri Tiger football program. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> so let's not I write their epitaph just yet. Because they have Gus Malzahn and the Mighty Auburn Tigers coming into Columbia this weekend as a 19-point favorite. How did that happen? But uh, Uh, clearly understand where you're coming from. Big weekend for Missouri, big weekend for Auburn. We're going to talk about that in just a second. Mr. Savage Burns, Steve Butler, let me talk about a wild football game. Um, a wild football game this weekend uh, down uh, uh, down in Gainesville. Florida and Tennessee, for three quarters, this game mirrored every single Tennessee-Florida game for the last ten years. So at the end of the third quarter, your score in this game was Florida 6 and Tennessee 3. A whopping three field goals in three quarters. 
had been scored. And it's not like the defenses were – it's not like you felt like you were watching a football game or you were watching some premier defenses. You were just watching an ugly football game. And then all of a sudden in the fourth quarter, the game between became very, very interesting. You could have bet the farm that the over-under – would be under 36.5 points in the fourth quarter. But lo and behold, the fourth quarter of that game saw Florida score 20 points and Tennessee score 17 points for a final score of Florida 26 and Tennessee 20. Um, what goes around comes around in college football, Steve. And, you know, Tennessee won a football game last year against uh, Georgia with the Hail Mary pass. How ironic is it that uh, that uh, not a not but a year later uh, they get paid back a little bit and uh, somehow some way that receiver got by the Tennessee secondary and um, uh, Felipe Frank ends, ends up uh, completing uh, what I believe was a uh, 55-yard uh, pass. Certainly seemed like it was in the air for a lot longer than 55 yards. What a crazy game, Steve. Tennessee, Florida. Give me your thoughts. Did we miss the Savage Burn? Is the Savage Burn still with us? All right, we can't hear the Savage Burn. Kip, give me your thoughts on the Florida-Tennessee game this weekend. What a crazy ending. Did you get to see that live and and, and, and kind of walk me through the two different personalities of that game per se the first three quarters and then the fourth quarter it was like we were watching two different football teams well you know the, through the first three quarters uh florida's offense just was dreadful uh like it had been against michigan pretty much tennessee was moving the ball pretty well but kept shooting themselves in the foot with penalties and missed kicks i think they missed three field goals and this is a school that traditionally has prided itself on their great kickers and kicking game. It was, it was really ugly to watch that debacle, but uh, then, then all of a sudden you get, and, and I think Florida, I mean, Tennessee ended up having close to 500 total yards against the vaunted Gator defense. But um, in the fourth quarter, it's just, it's almost like uh, two different, you know, okay, you guys clock out. We got a new shift coming in because, The game was nothing like the first three quarters. Both teams were going up and down the field, scoring pretty much at will. Uh, Tennessee, uh, and and, you know, all they had to do was uh, weather the storm of the last 35 or 40 seconds. And a lot of times you'll even see teams, because the game was tied. That's an important distinction from from the usual kind of chunk the bomb and try to, uh, you know, get the Hail Mary to, to, to register. The game was tied. So how how the Tennessee coaching staff and these guys these guys make millions of, I mean the head coaches make millions of dollars but even the coordinators now at these major schools are are you know all of them are, are bringing home three quarters to a million dollars a year how in the world yeah. do you have a press coverage situation in that in that in that final play the only scenario is do not let anybody get behind you. If you give up, I think it was a 65-yard touchdown. If you give up a, a, a 55-yard completion and get the guy on the ground, it doesn't make any difference. But That's uh, the right. one cardinal sin, you cannot let a guy run right by your secondary. You can't and, let anybody get behind you. <laughs> oh, 
I mean, you think about you think about the Tennessee Hail Mary last year. They just threw that up for grabs. There were five Georgia guys surrounding one receiver, and uh, the Georgia guys, uh, like synchronized swimmers, all jumped in the air at the wrong time, and the ball fell right into the arms of the receiver. This time, this was just a guy just running a straight fly pattern, and Frank threw it as far as he could, and he's five yards behind the defense. That is inexplicable. That is inexcusable. And uh, Tennessee got what they deserved. Uh, Florida, still a, a questionable team, going to Kentucky this weekend. Um, uh, they better get their offense uh, still. I, I, I don't think that's the great uh, deliverance because uh, they've still got some offensive woes. I you know you're exactly right. And look, who would have ever thought a road game at Kentucky? You know, do you have to worry about it if you're Florida? But that Kentucky team all of a sudden is quietly 3-0. and um, Steve Butler, let me ask you. I think we've got Steve back. Let me pivot a couple more things before we take a short break and we get into NFL football. Steve Butler, the Auburn Tigers this weekend. Play, last weekend, excuse me, played the mighty Mercer Bears from Macon, Georgia. I did not even realize until I saw that Mercer was on Auburn's schedule that they fielded a football program. <laughs> um, the line on this game was NL. <laughs> And for those of you who do not bet on uh, on college football games or pro football games, NL means there's no line, right? I mean, there's no line, meaning, you know, uh, the, the, the bookies think there's such a disparity between the teams that they're not even going to set a line and take bets on it. Um, I didn't get an opportunity to watch the game. Thankfully, I didn't go to the game. I was following the game as best I could on my iPhone, Steve. And what I do know is we only had a 17-10 to 10 lead midway through the fourth quarter. It was an incredibly error-prone game for the Auburn Tigers. We outgained at Mercer 524-210. to 210. However, we had five turnovers. Five turnovers. <laughs> Four lost fumbles. Jared Stidham, who finally had a really good game from an efficiency standpoint, did throw a pick, but he he looked like uh, it was the best game that he had had. But still, Steve, um, Auburn struggles to beat the Mercer Bears 24-10 at home. And now somehow they go on their first SEC game this weekend on the road, and we're a 19-point favorite against Missouri. Where is this Auburn team going, Steve? Where do you see this ending? Um, what do you see happening this weekend in Columbia? And and give us any thoughts you have on the game this weekend uh, against Mercer. You know, on paper, Auburn should be better this year. Let's face it. I know they lost a couple of key defenders to the draft, but – they still have a ton of five-star blue-chip recruits on that defensive line, a ton. Um, and they've got 11 guys that can rotate, which is as good as any team in the country. You picked up a better quarterback, got a better backup quarterback. So everything sounds great, right? Problem is you got the same coach. <laughs> yeah. And, so, and now I, you you're know, about to transition, Steve. Go ahead. Yeah, you analyze this, and I'm going to reiterate some of the things Chip said. And just to underline one point, they all are coaching. These aren't player issues. If you have five turnovers and Mercer has none, it's coaching, okay? Because even if the kids are dropping the ball, they're not being made to pay for it enough in practice. I'm being serious. Apparently, it's okay to drop a football at Auburn. You don't get your head taken off like I did when I played football. 
So That's at right. the end of the day, we, 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 I still can't believe that they had triple the penalties of Mercer. How did that happen? There ain't the happen? other team that has less talent should have triple the penalties of you because they can't handle your talent, right? So triple the penalties. Uh, Mercer didn't have a single turnover. None. Five times the oh, turnovers. No. And at the end of the day, Mercer threw the ball 32 times, and we didn't get one back with all those blue chippers up front on defense. So so sad. I, I, and you can't tell me that they had an offensive line that kept us at bay. That's just <laughs> not coaches not motivating players. I'm being dead serious. You're not fearful of losing your job. You're not scared enough of your coach. And a little bit of fear in the player-coach relationship I think is a good thing. Well, you certainly, as a backup quarterback, you certainly weren't scared enough to go out at 4 o'clock in the morning and get drunk and get arrested on a public intoxication charge. Um, a week after you just served a two-game suspension for smoking pot in the off season. So, uh, Steve, I couldn't agree with you more. There needs to be a lot more discipline in that Auburn program. Very happy that Gus Malzahn kicked Sean White off the team, as disappointed as I am, and as bad as I feel for Sean White because I think he's a good kid. I think he's got to get his life in order. I think this will give him an opportunity to take a, maybe a look in the mirror a little bit and uh, uh, focus a little bit on himself, a little bit less on the weed, a little bit less on the bottle, hopefully a little bit more on football, hopefully, hopefully a little bit more on himself, and uh, hopefully Sean White can land at another program. Unfortunately, he's probably going to land at the same program that everybody seems to be landing at now, the Florida Atlantic Program. Where uh, everybody seems to go and they get in trouble. Lane Kiffin takes everybody in. Uh, Kip, let me ask you this. We're running out of time. Then we got to uh, kind of pivot a little bit and talk about uh, busy, busy stuff going on in the NFL. Let's talk about this week. A um, couple games in the SEC that, uh, that we didn't think um, maybe a week ago, certainly two weeks ago, we didn't think would be big games, but two big, big games on the schedule. Alabama 3-0, and no surprise there. The Vanderbilt Commodores, who beat a uh, top-20 team, Kansas State, this weekend, they are quietly 3-0, and welcoming the Crimson Tide into, uh, into Nashville. Alabama's an 18-and-a-half-point favorite. Alabama didn't cover the spread a week earlier with Colorado State. I think that was 28-and-a-half. Colorado State ended up covering. Give me your thoughts on that race, and then – Excuse me on that game, and then also want your thoughts on the big game in Athens this weekend between the three and O Georgia Bulldogs and the three and O Mississippi State Bulldogs. Well, it should be noted they did not cover the week before either against Fresno State. They were a forty-four point favorite and only scored forty-one, so that math doesn't ever add up. Um, wow! So yeah, they've scored forty-one two weeks in a row: forty-one to ten over Fresno, forty-one twenty-three as a twenty-eight point favorite over Colorado State, and there's panic in the streets over here, fellas. Uh, there's, there's panic that the Alabama defense may not be as good as we've seen the previous 55 years or whatever the, uh, the, the streak <laughs> of, of great teams they've had. Um, they, they did have three of their five linebacker rotation injured. Two of them are out for the year, uh, so they have had some injuries already. The, uh, all the blue chippers that replaced a lot of their NFL draft picks on the defensive line really haven't gelled yet. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think it's any time to, to be overly concerned. The offense is still explosive. Jalen Hurts is still under fire because he's not a 
pinpoint passer and doesn't want to stand in the pocket. Uh, they're complaining about his, uh, his his lack of patience and going through all of his progressions before he takes off. But the guy's such a phenomenal runner. Uh, I thought it was funny. I don't know. I'm not even sure who was doing the play-by-play Saturday. I was flipping around so much, but I did have to catch on. I thought was the line of the week after he threw his second long. Because early in the game, they were talking about all of his passing problems. After he threw his second long touchdown pass of the game uh, to Robert Foster after uh, teaming up with Calvin Ridley earlier, uh, the announcer, uh, Rivers Don Color, on the game said, uh, "You know what? I think Jalen Hurts, uh, if he walked on water." We'd probably be complaining that he doesn't know how to swim. So uh, you know, this guy is a. I thought that was a great line. So yeah. you know this guy is a phenomenal player. Alabama's defense is still really solid. This game at Vanderbilt's fascinating because Vandy's defense obviously is pretty legitimate. Uh, K State uh, had two long touchdowns called back in the game. Uh, uh, the the uh, yellow uh, decoration on the field uh, did in uh, Bill Snyder and his. Uh, his Wildcats visit to Nashville. But uh, I, I, I really think this is going to be an interesting game. 18 and a half, you know, I said on my podcast earlier today that, you know, I can't cough up that many points in this game because Vanderbilt's defense is really good. And if they can just score once or twice, which Fresno and Colorado State have managed to do, um, I yeah. think they can keep it under the number. I don't, I don't see them winning the game. I don't think they have uh, enough explosiveness. Alabama's offense would have to completely melt down and make mistakes. And I really don't see that happening. The other game in Athens, I think it's a lot to ask Mississippi State to come off the ultimate sky-high home win over a team that is a big rival of theirs, LSU, um, a team that you know they play with a chip on their shoulder, and ask them now to go on the road and play Georgia, uh, a team that uh, I, I still believe has a legitimate uh, SEC top-ranked defense. Um, and I think this is the first Georgia home game where they're going to have that same infusion of, of great uh, enthusiasm. Yeah. And uh, I, I really think it's a tough spot to expect Mississippi State to do that two weeks in a row against some of the better uh, personnel teams in the league. Uh, we'll really see what Georgia's made of here. But, I, I you know, the, the line's down to about four and a half. And uh, I, I, I certainly like Georgia in this game, uh, who should be fresh. Sonny Michelle sat out last week. He'll be ready to go. They didn't even use a lot of their weapons last week. Nauta, the tight end, is one of the best uh, weapons in the country, and they didn't even target him a single time. So I think you'll see a different approach for Georgia. I, 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 like, the, uh, I like the Athens Bulldogs over the, the Stark Vegas version this Saturday. <laughs> Good deal. Kip and uh, the Savage Burn Steve Butler – Stick with us, guys. We're going to take a 60-second break. And on the other end of the 60-second break, we are going to welcome to the show the Buffalo Bad Boy. And we are going to talk a little bit of NFL football. (laughs) So stick with us. Red Zone Sports Report. We'll be back in 60 seconds.
Welcome back. You are listening live to the Red Zone Sports Report. It is, uh, it's not Tuesday, September 20th. It is Wednesday, September 20th. We are coming at you uh, a day later than we normally do, and we're going to be coming at you a day later next week as well. So uh, we're going to do the, the podcast on a Wednesday uh, next week as well. We just got done with our first uh, our first 40 minutes and kind of talking a uh, little college football action. Uh, a lot more going on in the week of college football than we had anticipated. We kind of thought it would be a quiet week. Um, we should learn our lesson that there's no such thing as a quiet week once uh, week one of uh, of the college football season starts. But uh, week two of the NFL football season is in the books. And um, a very interesting week, a lot different than week one. Uh, we want to welcome to the show for the final 45 minutes of the show, as always, uh, live from Buffalo, New York, the Buffalo bad boy, Mr. Pete Tasca. Pete, welcome to the show. Good evening, Chipper. Good evening, gentlemen. Good evening, everyone. Thanks for having me again. Always a pleasure. Well, we're happy to join you, Pete. We'll go ahead and start... Uh, you know, uh, let's go ahead and start with uh, the Carolina Panthers and the Buffalo Bills. We had you on in week one. I can't remember when the last time it was that uh, the Buffalo Bills started the season with a W out of the gate, uh, defeating the New York Jets. A little bit different game against the Carolina Panthers. I didn't expect it to be as big of a defensive matchup as it was. Um I think going into Carolina and beating that team, I think Carolina is going to have a solid, complete team this year. Assuming Cam Newton can stay healthy, certainly looks like he's, um, you know, he's kind of limped his way through the first couple of games. I think uh, um, Christian McCaffrey is going to be a great, a great addition uh, in the backfield to that team if he can stay healthy. I think he's a really good fit for there, but. Now, talk to us a little bit about that game. I'm sure you had a chance to watch it. Uh, the Panthers beat the Bills 9-3. to um, uh, Pete, tell us a little bit. I mean, did you expect some more scoring? It certainly looked like I expected more out of the uh, out of the Buffalo offense, but candidly, I expected more out of the Carolina offense. So, uh, you know, uh, a little bit of mixed emotions, I guess. If you're a Bills fan, you've got to be pretty happy with your defense. Probably not pretty happy with the offensive performance. Well, how could you possibly be, Chip? I mean, and let's be honest, there are no moral victories anymore here in Buffalo. Uh, those That ship sailed a long, long time ago. If, if we don't get W's, it doesn't really matter anymore. I, I guess if you do want to look at it from a positive perspective, uh, you know, the game was absolutely a defensive slobber knocker, no doubt about it. The, the Buffalo defense came out swinging, and they didn't stop swinging the whole game. I mean, if, if you got a chance to watch it, you knew they were playing in some, some intense heat. Uh, Carolina it really held the ball most of the football game. So, you know, here in Buffalo, we're always waiting for the other shoe to drop, of course. And it ultimately did. But we thought it was going to drop probably a little bit sooner because you just figured the team was on the field so much in the first half in particular that they were inevitably going to wilt in the second half. And they never really did. Um, they actually came out, you know, fighting even a little bit harder, it seemed like, in the third quarter and then into the fourth and, kept the football team in the game. We just couldn't generate any offense, no Shady McCoy, no Buffalo offense, and, and he was nowhere to be found in this game. Luke Keekley and company, uh, they, they kept the door shut on him. And Tyrod Taylor, in your sleeper of the year, your rookie sleeper of the year, Zay Jones just could not make the play in the end to get no, the job done. And here we are, one and one, you know, Chip. And, and back to uh, 
Back to the meeting again for the Buffalo Bills with the Denver Broncos coming in this week. <laughs> it doesn't look good. It really doesn't. Well, let's pivot to that. I mean, Denver, uh, you know, if two teams had uh, – I think the two teams that had the most impressive wins this week uh, were the Atlanta Falcons and the Denver Broncos. I mean, Denver absolutely manhandling and dominating Dallas at the line of scrimmage. The Atlanta Falcons open up Mercedes-Benz Stadium and uh, defeat Green Bay. It was not as close of a football game as the final score had. But, you know, uh, you guys do have an opportunity this week. You're catching Denver um, after um, a a huge high, a Rocky Mountain high, per se. Uh, What an incredible win for them. They're 2-0 coming in. Any chance? I mean, you give the Bills any chance? Denver is only a three-point favorite piece. So it certainly looks like. It certainly looks like uh, the odds makers believe that um, you know that Denver could be uh, having a little bit of a hangover when they fly into Buffalo this weekend. Yeah, isn't it interesting how, how Vegas will will read these games and you know they're they're so right so often you know and so with that being said, I, I can honestly say again I, I'm not a gambler I don't put money down I, I don't really follow lines very closely at all. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, I know people who do, and and I know how right they often are. And and I've said, you know, most of this week that th- this is an absolutely a tough spot for Denver, uh, coming off a humongous win that you just mentioned over the Dallas Cowboys, a game that you know, unless you're the Savage Burn, you did not expect the Denver Broncos to beat down the Dallas Cowboys <laughs> that way, and they did, and they did. So it's a monster win, a national win, you know, a lot of. Um, a lot of uh, you know spotlight you know, on Trevor Simeon, and, and certainly that defense has been excellent for years. They're coming across country, coming from the West Coast, basically over here to the East Coast, a one o'clock game against a team, quite frankly, that you, you can't imagine Denver is going to be too up for. You know, we're the Buffalo Bills. <laughs> you know, okay, I'm the Buffalo bad boy, but we're still the Buffalo Bills, and, and there are teams out there who just don't take us seriously. And I can't imagine the Broncos are. And if the defense does step up and play in a similar fashion that they played this past Sunday, uh, I do not think that Denver's offense is quite as efficient and as high-octane and high-powered as it showed last week. I think it was a product of the matchup. Um, And certainly Dallas, you know, being in the altitude and and the young players and Ezekiel Elliott, I'm sure we'll talk about him. Uh, I think the Buffalo Bills have a chance to possibly stay in this football game. I think it has a similar kind of setup to last week against the Carolina Panthers, a, a similar type of matchup. I, I just think in, in the end, barring, a, as usual, a miracle with the Buffalo Bills, and we're always, you know, waiting on a prayer here, hoping on a prayer, if you will. Uh, I just don't think we're going to be able to overcome this. Courtney Glenn, our left tackle, is iffy for this football game. Uh, he's a key cog. And then, of course, you got Marcel Darius. I mean, Marcel Darius, my goodness gracious, the number three pick in what was the 2010 draft. We just can't get the $100 billion man on the field and productive consistently, and he may not go this week either. So, you know, Chip, I'm, I, as much as I want to go with Buffalo in this game, I just don't think we have enough in the tank. I really don't. 
<laughs> Mr. Savage Burns, Steve Butler, uh, the Buffalo bad boy brings up a good point, which is, uh, you know, Pete said, look, I don't bet a lot. I don't bet at all. I don't bet a lot on college, on pro football myself. But I do follow the lines very closely. And I follow the lines very closely, Steve, for the same reason that Pete does. The, these people are so right so many times. You know, and, um, I mean, every now and then they get one, you know, wrong. I mean, there's always going to be the outlier, you know, the game that just goes uh, a completely different direction than you think. But uh, I got to tell you, I mean, three points is a is a pretty tight line for this weekend. Uh, give me your thoughts on what you think is going to happen this weekend when uh, the 2-0 and Broncos come into, uh, come into Orchard Park and play the Bills. Well, the peak point is it kind of really is set up for a perfect scenario to surprise the Broncos. And and the one thing that Buffalo has demonstrated, they do have a quality defense. They still have a top ten defense, and, and I think Sean has probably given them a new perspective, and, and the Panthers have demonstrated that for years, so you would figure that they would. Um, the problem is, is that Buffalo just does not have anybody to throw the ball to. And they made that decision when they traded away Sammy Watkins. And I, I know they've picked up a couple of second-tier guys, but it, it's very clear that when Shady McCoy runs the ball 12 times for nine yards, they're stacking the line of scrimmage. And you look at Tyrod Taylor's numbers, and they're not horrible, but they're just not productive either. And you really look at the receivers, and then you say, oh, wow, seven yards a catch, and that's about as good as they can do right now. I mean, they've got a good tight end, but, you know, teams can afford to double-team play down the middle. They just – the NFL – Without the fear of speed, you can't operate at all. It doesn't matter how good you are at those other positions. And, and this is what, and frankly, uh, Pete has heard me say about the Carolina Panthers for a year, and I think they're trying to solve those problems for years. They just didn't have good speed and catching ability on the outside. And I know they got Ginn for a minute. And, by the way, look what happened when they had Ginn. They went to the Super Bowl. So, long story short, yeah. they, without that speed to, to push those linebackers and safeties back, you can have great football players in the backfield. It's not going to matter if the receivers aren't pushing those defenders off the line. You're exactly right. Kip Kiefer, week one of the NFL season, saw an opening game on a Thursday night in which the defending Super Bowl champion New England Patriots hosted the Kansas City Chiefs at home, and they laid an egg. Uh, Kareem Hunt, who was playing for Toledo, the previous five times Tom Brady won Super Bowl rings, comes into Foxborough and absolutely dominates. And, and you hear people quietly whispering, is this the beginning of the end for the New England Patriots? Are we about to see the end of the dynasty with Tom Brady and Bill Belichick? Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, they get on a charter airplane. They fly to New Orleans. And they absolutely dominate the New England, or excuse me, the New Orleans Saints. Not that the Saints have a very good defense, but uh, 36 to 20, the game wasn't that close. I think Tom Brady, I don't have the exact statistics in front of me, Kip, but I think Tom Brady passed for more yards in the first quarter of that game than he has in any game in 10 years. Um, thoughts on uh, thoughts on this New England Patriots team? Rob Gronkowski, who has a history of little nagging injuries, went out in that game. Hard to tell how serious the injury is. He didn't practice today, but uh, Julian Edelman goes down. Is this a product of uh, of New England, of uh, of a New Orleans defense, which two you know, two two 
to their defense, made Sam Bradford the week before look like Johnny Unitas. What do you expect out of this New England team, Kip? You know, it's so amazing if you really analyze this team because they lost Danny Amendola for that game too. Uh, So no Edelman, no Amendola. uh, And Brandon Cooks, the big offseason acquisition from the Saints, is held to three catches and not really a factor in the game. Brady exploits guys like uh, James White, the Super Bowl hero, Burkhart, whoever the heck that guy, who, who the heck is this guy? Uh, that the first <laughs> drive, I think he ran three or four times for 30 or 40 yards. He caught two or three passes. It was like, uh, I mean, you, I, I, I'm starting to believe you put anybody in a Patriots uniform and Brady's going to be able to, to utilize them. Um, Gillisley yeah. the week before, another kind of no name that come out of nowhere that they acquired is, uh, was, was uh, was scoring touchdowns. I mean, they just they, whoever they suit up just seems to be uh, just an instant an instant fit. Uh, any any whispers that Brady was done, like you said, you talk about coming out smoking. Uh, wow. It was almost as if the Saints had no defensive personnel on the field at all. It was amazing to watch, and and uh, the game was never close. And the Patriots defense, which admittedly on opening night against the Chiefs was pretty shaky. Uh, Kareem Hunt just ran wild against them. Uh, Drew Brees uh, got some garbage numbers at the end, but uh, pretty much the rest of the game, uh, New England throttled a Drew Brees Saints team at home. And, you know, the Saints go on the road every once in a while and kind of lay an egg. But in the Superdome, you don't see them uh, stumbling around very often. And uh, the Patriots certainly made them look bad for three quarters. So, yes, the the, uh, rumors of the the demise of the New England Patriots – in the words of Mark Twain, are greatly exaggerated. <laughs> They're greatly exaggerated, and those rumors have been going on for years now. At some oh, yeah. point in time, you would hope those rumors would come to fruition and would be true. <laughs> 41 years old. I, I think, yep. I, yeah, I still think we're a long way away from it. And I agree with you, Kip. It really felt like when, when uh, look, give, give all the credit in the world for Tom Brady because he deserves it. And and it doesn't matter who they plug and play in um, in the skill position of receiver, they always seem to do really well. There's one constant, and that's Tom Brady. But I really did feel like I was watching Louisville's defense when I was watching uh, the New Orleans Saints try to you know try to uh, come up with some sort of a game plan and some sort of a scheme to try to slow that down. Um, uh, Pete, Mr. Buffalo Bad Boy, we are two weeks into the NFL season. Only two weeks in, and we only have eight two and O teams. We've got the Denver Broncos, the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Atlanta Falcons, the Detroit Lions, the Kansas City Chiefs, the uh, Los Angeles Raiders. I didn't think about that for a second before I said it, and the Carolina Panthers. We have 16 games on the docket this weekend in Week Three of the NFL season. Only one game out of 16. Features undefeated teams. That's it. Only one game. So you talk about parity in the NFL. Here we are in week three, and we only have one game that features two undefeated teams, and that is the Detroit Lions and our Atlanta Falcons. And so uh, that game this weekend in Ford Field, Atlanta, a little bit surprising, but maybe not so after – such a dominating performance at night on Sunday night on national TV against the Green Bay Packers. Atlanta, a three-point favorite. 
coming into Detroit this weekend. How do you handicap that game this weekend between the Falcons and the Lions? Well, Chip, in my opinion, in in the Burn and I, we exchanged a couple of text messages uh, leading up to Sunday night's big matchup. And uh, you, you could just feel the anxiety coming from Atlanta through the text message. As Aaron Rodgers was, was getting ready to take the field, I could just feel it. It was it was palpable. It, it's it's like it's like the specter of Tom Brady is still looming or was still looming over Atlanta. And even in the second half, when when the game started to settle down a bit for uh, for Green Bay and they started to move the ball a bit and some of the injuries started to hit for the Falcons, you you could feel through the television screen. The anxiety that seemed to overtake that environment, it was, it was rather strange. But I say all that to say, as I did mention in the burn, I really do believe, and I still do, it's, it's really confirmed now that Atlanta is the class of the NFL. I, I, I do believe this team is the best in football, and, and I do believe that if, if barring any major injuries, any more major injuries, if you will, um, Matt Ryan, of course, Julio Jones, you know, he is some of the key cogs in the offensive line. I think this team is going to absolutely make a run to the Super Bowl this year again, and, and hopefully they'll get it done. Hopefully they won't have to meet Brady again, and they'll get it done. Uh, with that being said, I, I absolutely like the Falcons in this football game. You, you have to like what, what Caldwell and Stafford are doing there in Detroit. Uh, just an excellent, excellent football game uh, against the New York Giants on Monday night. I, I don't know too many people who saw that one coming. Uh, not only did they beat them, but they, they beat them all pretty good. And, and they almost embarrassed the New York Giants, sent them to 0-2. But I just don't think they're going to be able to match up with the Falcons uh, all night long. And, and I think uh, Atlanta's going to walk away with this game. I don't know if it's going to be a blowout. It'll probably be somewhat tight. Uh, but I, absolutely, I like the Falcons with this football game. And I do, again, believe that they're the class of the NFL this year. No question about it in my mind. Mr. Savage Burn, our friend, our mutual friend, the Buffalo Bad Boy, spends the first 45 seconds tearing us down and then the next 90 <laughs> seconds building us up. You saw how he artfully went through the answer to that question. <laughs> Mr. Savage Burn. How is this Atlanta Falcons team this year? Big win Sunday night against uh, Green Bay. How do you see Sunday's game in Detroit? And, Chef, that, that kind of reminded me, and I think it's okay that I use this particular senator's name, the time that I was working for Grady Hospital and Senator Vincent Fort got up there and railed on my proposal for an hour and then voted for it. Um, and to a certain degree, you got to forgive the bad boy. He's still kind of in shock over this three-year argument on Matt Ryan, the MVP thing. So he's got to let his feelings come through through that. But um, we're going to see a pretty good football game, I think, this weekend because the Detroit Lions are better than people might imagine on defense. They've got some good young defenders. I'm a big Golden Tate fan. The thing that they don't have is a running game, and that's where they're going to run into trouble with the Falcons because even with Vic Beasley out, um, we've got a, a good nine-player rotation on, on the front four. Um, so that that's the part that I think will be interesting, interesting to me. If the Lions are going to be able to run the football, they certainly have a good chance in this football game. But if they can't, and you've got Devonta Freeman and Tevin Coleman over there, you know, pounding you, um, it's going to be kind of difficult. But there's something that needs to be recognized. I think the, the Lions are in the top five or top six in defense right now. So their defense through the first two games has, has played well. Um, but I do think the Falcons probably have just a little bit more talent to, to keep up with. Them. 
I agree, and I hope that's the case, Steve. Kip, let me ask you this question. Let me pivot a little bit um, and ask you a multiple-choice question as we're two weeks into the <laughs> NFL season. Um, the Who has the worst offense right now? Eli Manning in the New York Giants, Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks, or Andy Dalton and the Cincinnati Bengals. Three three offenses that through eight quarters in this young NFL season have looked absolutely hapless. Number one, how can that be? Is there any chance that these teams – I know we're only two games into the season. It's a 16-game regular season. We got a long way to go. But we are two games in. We're an eighth of the way in. Kip, what are your thoughts on uh, who has the worst of those three defenses? And which one of those teams do you think can turn it around the quickest? Well, I mean, certainly the Seahawks have done it in the past. uh, But, gosh, their first two games. That that game with and, and another nominee, but I guess you can't pick on this team because they're, they're 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 a given that they're going to be lousy on offense. But the 49ers see it. There were so many brutal games last week. The 49ers Seahawks game was just and and thank goodness I I watched most of the Denver Dallas game and flipped back and forth and watched that a little bit, but it was just ugly. Um, Russell Wilson's running. They reminded you of the first catches. three quarters of Tennessee Florida, didn't it? it, it, it yeah, it was, it was it was just like watching the Gators and the Vols. Uh, it mm-hmm. was absolutely painful. Uh, they have no offensive line. They, they maybe they maybe found the running back that's going to uh, kind of transform a guy named Chris Carson uh, is is a guy to watch out for. He finally started getting the bulk of the carries in the fourth quarter and did score the touchdown that finally delivered the resounding twelve to nine victory. Um, I mean, high school teams are scored more than some of these NFL games. Uh, so the Seahawks are the most disappointing because they've got pieces, um, you know, and they and they just they need to just get back to playing the kind of football that they played before. But their offensive line is a huge question. Cincinnati, God, uh, Andy Dalton just looks like he's playing blindfolded. They can't decide on who they want to uh, who they want to feature as the backs. They've got three different guys that uh, Giovanni Bernard. Um, the, um, the the holdover uh, Hill and uh, and the rookie Mixon and they're giving all of them about five or six carries a game and it, it's just all of them have different running styles. The team just co- seems completely discombobulated. Uh, they're they're a huge disappointment. Marvin Lewis should have been let go three or four years ago. He's been there forever. Uh, that's just a team to me that just looks that, that's the Ed Orgeron and LSU of the NFL right now. And it's yeah. funny that uh, they've got tiger stripes on their helmets because uh, the Bengals just look listless. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I'd say that's probably the two that have the, the personnel to turn it around. But uh, something something dramatic needs to happen because, uh, wow, those, those teams are just off to just dreadful starts for having really good personnel. They really are. Let me pivot a little bit to the Buffalo bad boy, Mr. Pete Deska. Pete, the Chicago Bears. Uh, off to an 0 and 2 start after an awful, awful season last season. They've certainly picked up where they've left off. They they haven't looked like that. They've made um, um, demonstrative improvement in many areas at all. Um, Mike Glennon, when you you look at the numbers from this past weekend against uh, the Buccaneers, 
Um, individually, it doesn't look like he had really bad numbers. The Bears got destroyed. They were never in the game at Tampa Bay, lost 29-7 to on the road. Glennon was 31-45. of I think he threw for just under or just over 300 yards. But most of that was in the mop-up duty. Two-thirds of that, I think, was after halftime. Uh, he also threw a pick six. You know, Mitchell Trubisky didn't look too bad in the preseason. Uh, obviously, he didn't play against the uh, – he didn't play against a lot of first-team uh, first defenses, but uh, how long do you think it's going to be? How long do you think um, John Fox can wait in Chicago before he gives Mitchell Trubisky an opportunity to have the keys to that offense and take over the lead as a starting quarterback for the Chicago Bears? Well, it won't be long now, Chip. There, there's no doubt about that. I mean, uh, it, listen, it, it was a tough spot for uh, for the Bears. Coming off a valiant effort against the Falcons in week one, we all know how that game played out. Uh, going on the road, you know, playing in that Florida sun against a team that was, I'm sure, highly, highly motivated to get out there after week one was basically canceled for them in the Buccaneers and, and a very quality football team. Uh, you know, you've gotten a lot of, you know, early season hype the Bucks and, you know, we've talked a bit about it, you know, off off the record here about, you know, who we think is going to be the class of the NFC South, and certainly it's the Falcons, no question. And it looks like it's going to be the Buccaneers who are probably going to give them the, the best run for their money. But as far as Trubisky and, and Glennon goes, I mean, you, you have to imagine, if it weren't John Fox, you know, just an old-school, old-dog kind of coach, You'd have to imagine Trubisky would probably be in the game by week, by you know, starting by week four or or week five at the most. But because it is Foxy and he is that that old school you know mentality, he, he may end up sticking with Glennon probably longer than he should. But if you did see Trubisky in the preseason, you just referenced it, and I saw him a couple of times. I, I'm I'm a maniac. I watch a lot of preseason football, you know, and, and I watch all four quarters of it as well. Trubisky looked the part. No question about it. Command, yes. accuracy. Um, he's got he's got a live arm. He, he's got you know solid athleticism. He, he just looks the part. Um, certainly a more evolved version than Mason Peterman here in Buffalo. But we we have a similar thing going on. And the burn again, he's he's exposed to this. You know, we're on a text chain. We've got about 10 Buffalo Bills fans, and the Savage Bird is planted firmly in the middle of it. So he gets to see it all. And the cries for Nathan Peterman are coming already. It's a very similar kind of layout because Nathan Peterman looks apart in the preseason as well, um, you know, to the point where it, it looked like he may be able to, you know, step into this offense and, and help us be more productive. We'll see. I think there's going to be a bit of a shorter hook. Um, in Chicago than there will be in Buffalo, but I can't imagine it's going to be long before we see Trubisky. I, I, the, the talent is honestly just too great in, in the uh, the draft capital that they gave up to take him. It just makes no sense. If they end up all 3 and 4 well, why would you let the kid ride on the bench? It makes no sense at all. Let's go. Get the process started, right? No, you're exactly right. It's going to be uh, – I don't know how much longer he can wait. I mean, they, they play Pittsburgh this weekend. Um, you, you probably don't want to give him his – you don't want to give him the keys to the kingdom maybe against uh, Mike Tomlin and the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers defense. Yeah. But, you know, oh boy, they lose that game, and it certainly looks like they've got a 
strong possibility of losing that game. It's going to be tough to keep him on the bench for longer. Steve Butler, Mr. Savage Burn, let me ask you this question before we take a short break, and we're going to come back with our winners and losers segment. Great winners and losers segment. Last time after a, a long off season, but Steve, I want to talk to you about the Dallas Cowboys. Kind of get your thoughts on that. I mean, they're coming in. They have a Monday night game this weekend, um, a Monday night weekend away against uh, the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, the Cardinals uh, won a uh, won a road game this weekend. They beat uh, Indianapolis sixteen to thirteen. I believe that game was an overtime game, or it was a game that was decided late in the fourth quarter, but. Uh, this Cowboys team was really dominated at Denver this week, 42-17. to 17. And um, in two of Dak Prescott's interceptions, um, Ezekiel Elliott, um, who had an incredible rookie campaign last season, and then a tumultuous offseason, and then a suspension, and then a stay in that suspension, and now we don't know where it's going to end up. Is he going to be like Tom Brady was? Uh, you know, it, it, two years ago when Roger Goodell suspended uh, Brady for four games for Deflategate, it was appealed. The appeal wasn't heard until um, until the offseason the following year, so he had to serve the sp- suspension the following year. We don't know what's going to happen, but it, it certainly looks like, you know, this Cowboys team, um, uh, you know, they, they didn't look like at all this past week that, that – uh, that they thought they would be there, that they would knew what they were doing. Now all of a sudden they go to a Cardinals, they go play Monday night football against Arizona, and they're really kind of struggling with their identity. They had a very strong identity last year. Nobody really, um, I don't think anybody expected them to do what they did in the regular season. I think people had high hopes for the potential that Zeke Elliott would have uh, maybe for – for his career as a Dallas Cowboy, but I don't think anybody could have seen what happened in, in, in year one. And then you, you know, you, you put Tony Romo's injury and Dak Prescott coming in and, and being, being put in the position, put, put in the position that he was and the success that he had, this team just looks like they're still exhausted from not really meeting the expectations they did last year. Steve, what do you see out of this Dallas Cowboys team this year? It's really a reflection of what we've seen for 15 straight years, just with a few different pieces, to be honest with you. And uh, I, I, I spoke with Pete about this, but what was it, Pete, about a week or two before the season. And I made a, a text to that same group of people in Buffalo. I, it's, it's 12 guys on it. And I made a bold prediction that the Cowboys were going to finish last in the NFC East. Now, it's kind of being funny. But once Pete and I started talking about it, he's like, well, why do you say that? And I said, well, first of all, they have one of the worst secondaries in football, and not much changed about that. About and you got to go up against Matt Ryan and Aaron Rodgers, and you're going to have to get through these guys to get to the Super Bowl, and, and you're just not going to be able to do it with those guys in the secondary. Ask Green Bay last year coming into Atlanta. Um, and then we talked about Ezekiel Elliott, who seems to be another low-character guy that Jerry Jones has brought in, high-talented. Low character, there's a theme there with Jerry Jones, right? And I think the biggest problem is that you've got the same guy being the GM, the coach, and the owner, and he's 80 years old. So I'm not sure how many 80-year-olds can do those three things for an NFL franchise. And the players understand that Jason Garrett, they do have some good players, but they understand he has no ability to control his own locker room because 
Jerry Jones is controlled locker room. Jerry Jones picks favorites and will protect players from discipline, and that's just a fact about how they run their organization. And it's just like what we're talking about with LSU and these other teams. If you don't have a process in place, which is why New England has been so successful for so long, which is why Atlanta is starting to be successful, it's called a process. You don't allow bad players in. You let people do their jobs. You empower them, and you, you have discipline throughout the organization. It's the reason we let Hageman go. He was just too much of a discipline problem. Jalen Collins, you'll see that after he's up, if we don't need a corner, he's cut too. So long story short, they just have not put discipline in the organization from the top down. And, and lastly, 70% of their roster is on offensive players. You're not going to go very far in the NFL without corners. Exactly. Kip, before we take a break and come back for winners and looters, winners and losers, give me your take on this year's Dallas Cowboys. How do you see them? You know, I thought they I thought they uh, overachieved last year. As, as great as Prescott was at, at managing games and not making mistakes, he just really wasn't put in a position very often that he had to go out and win a game. They uh, Elliott was amazing. They were able to control uh, with their great offensive line. Uh, it just seemed like every week they got seven or ten points ahead and just kind of rode right in. I didn't. I thought they were not very spectacular last year, but. You know, winning uh, all the games that they did uh, was very impressive. But, it, you know, that, that's a tough formula to uh, to duplicate uh, two years in a row that everything just doesn't fall right from season to season. And that's what you see that a lot in the NFL. So I, I think this is going to be a little bit more tumultuous a year. I don't think Des Bryant is the player that he was. Uh, Witten has got to be – how old is that guy, 53, 54? Um, I think he was on the last yeah. Roger Staubach Super Bowl team. Um, I, I mean, right. you, you just you just look at and, – and, and their defense has always been even a little bit suspect. They came up with the big play at the right time last year, but I, I don't think their defense is is uh, is certainly uh, – you mentioned the top ten defenses. I don't think they're in that in that realm. So, you know, I just think – I think this is a quality team. I still think they're going to win a lot of games, but I think anybody expecting a, 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 a repeat of last year was being kind of unrealistic. If you really go game by game, I mean, they didn't uh, d- dominate anybody. They just were very efficient and won football games. And if they can get back to that formula, they'll be successful again. But Denver got them behind the other day, and they had no idea how to react. No, they didn't, and you're exactly right. Kip, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to take a 30-second break. Before we do, make an announcement that we'll make at the end of the podcast as well. We will be with you next Wednesday, not next Tuesday, but next Wednesday. Our our college football guru, Mr. Kip Kiefer, has obligations at one of his real jobs, which is to provide <laughs> color commentary from the political aspects on WJOX in Birmingham, Alabama. There is a big special election next week to determine who the next U.S. Senator, or at least the primary for the next U.S. Senator, uh, will be in Alabama between uh, Luther Strange, the incumbent, and Roy Moore, the challenger. I know, Kip, you've got uh, you're covering uh, the president and the vice president coming into Alabama this weekend, and that's going to be a big, big race on Tuesday night. So we are going to uh, let you uh, um, uh, keep to your obligations for your uh, your day job or your your prime time job at WJOX, 
and then uh, we'll, after Kip gets done talking politics, we'll get uh, we'll get Kip's thoughts uh, as well as uh, Pete and Steve and my thoughts on uh, what is uh, likely going to be a very interesting week in college football in the NFL. We're going to take a thirty second break, and on the other end of the break, we are going to talk of winners and losers this week in the week in sports. So stick with us. We'll be right back. like we do every week with our winners and losers segment in the week in sports and we are going to start last week it took 20 minutes to get through winners and losers that was largely my fault because after a long off season of podcasting i had a lot of winners and losers that were kind of accumulated you know through that dry spell so uh, the one rule we have is that um, uh, uh, all of our co-hosts are allowed to pick winners and losers, but they cannot repeat those winners and losers throughout the week. We had to make that rule because you're truly the host for three straight weeks our first year at Jeremy Johnson is a loser, deservingly so. But uh, I, I figured we might as well make that rule because uh, Jeremy Johnson that season could have been could have been a loser every week. So it was a good rule. I'm glad we did it. Unfortunately, we had to implement that rule because of uh, three straight Jeremy Johnson and Gus Malzahn losers. But uh, we're going to start this week with a savage bird, Mr. Steve Butler. Steve, get us started with winners and losers for the week. You know, we had a lot to work with this weekend. It was supposed to be kind of a boring uh, college football weekend, um, but it it ended up being a lot more entertaining than people thought. I'm going to go off the page real quick, and for my winner of the week, I'm going to go with Joseph Martinez, Atlanta United. Last week had back-to-back hat tricks. That's pretty phenomenal in sports. That's not something you see every day, and normally uh, a guy like Ronaldo or Messi is pulling that off. So, quite a performance. He's got eight goals in two games, including two back-to-back hat tricks. is is pretty darn impressive. And, And my loser of the week is going to be whoever the offensive coordinator is for San Francisco. I'm not even sure who it is. I know who their head coach is. But um, the offensive coordinator is yet to score a touchdown. And more importantly, if if you watch any of the games, they're able to run the football. They just can't call a passing play. And and they may go scoreless again this weekend. So my my loser of the week will be the San Francisco 49ers offensive coordinator. I I think that's a very deserved loser. Um, If I were giving my opinion, and I'm not allowed to on winners and losers, I would say that's a little subtle shot at Kyle Shanahan. The Buffalo bad boy, what do you think? Subtle shot at Kyle Shanahan? Of course it was a subtle shot at Kyle (laughs) Shanahan. You know that, Chip, no question about it. And you've got to love how the Savage Bird goes off the board 
and he goes to MLS for his winner of the week. It's just fantastic. you got to love him. I'm going to stay in, in the world of football here, Chip, and I'm going to go out to the West Coast. Of course, I'm going to go to the Pac-2, and I'm going to go with the USC Trojans, and I'm going to go with Sam Darnold as my winner of the week. If you had enough uh, energy to stay up and finish watching that double overtime football game against the Texas Longhorns over the weekend, it was just a fantastic ball game. Uh, you, you got to tip your hat to the Longhorns for, for fighting the way that they did. Their defense was unbelievable. But, you, you, again, I, I know Yankee football, Pac-2, the whole nine yards. If you're able to stay up late enough to watch Sam Darnold play the game, the sophomore quarterback for the USC Trojans, the kid is just fantastic. He really is. They're my winner of the week, 3-0 USC Trojans. My loser of the, of the week, it's a tough call here. I, I really want to go with the New Orleans Saints for laying the, that egg against the, uh, the New England Patriots, as we talked about earlier, at home. Uh, but I'm going to go. Of course, I always have to connect it back to Buffalo. I'm going to go with Doug Marone, head coach Doug Marone of the Jacksonville Jaguars, <laughs> and the egg that they laid against their division Good. rival, Tennessee Titans, in week two, after all the hype that they got, that the Jacksonville Jaguars are back on the scene. Well, ladies and gentlemen, the Jaguars are not back on the scene. Thank you very <laughs> much, Doug Marone. Have a nice day. Those are my winners and losers this week, Chip. Good winners and losers for the week, Pete. Very good winners and losers for the week. Kip Kiefer, uh, live from Birmingham, Alabama. Kip, give us your winners and losers of the week in sports. My winner of the week is somebody we talked about, uh, or a team has talked about in the first uh, segment on college football. Uh, a guy who does more with less than I think any coach in the country is Dan Mullen at Mississippi State. I mean, this guy in Starkville, Mississippi, uh, has produced a consistent string of winners. You remember just a couple of years ago with Dak Prescott in tow uh, until an unfortunate visit to Tuscaloosa where they didn't embarrass themselves. They were the number one team in the country as late as seven or eight weeks into the season. Uh, This guy is a quarterback guru. He does a great job. Uh, Quarterbacks want to come there and play for him. We talked about Nick Fitzgerald. Um, You know, LSU, we're we're doing some dissecting of that situation earlier. Name the last great quarterback that's come to LSU. You may have to go all the way back to Burt Jones, for God's sake, uh, in the late 70s. I mean, you can't name one. How how can a school it's, like that not recruit yeah. these get these these quality quarterbacks? And in Stark, you know, where, where do you want to go? Baton Rouge or Starkville? Uh, I, I know where I'd choose. But anyway, um, <laughs> you know. So Dan Mullen does more with less, and I, I just I'm just amazed every year that he makes that program so competitive. And my loser is the City of Angels, Los Angeles. This is the city, mm-hmm. Los Angeles, California. On Sunday, they had two NFL games, 12 miles apart, playing at the same time. The Chargers and the Dolphins and the Rams and the Redskins, the attendance at the aforementioned USC-Texas game that Pete mentioned totaled about 17,000 more fans than both those NFL games the next day combined. Uh, Now, in fairness, the Chargers are playing in a soccer stadium that only seats 32,000. But the Rams had a pathetic crowd of just over 40,000. Uh, it, it, it's really, you know, for a city that was supposedly starved for football and deprived of having football for so long, uh, and there, there's just there's so many tens of millions of, of people in that 
not only in the city but in the in the Southern California area for that kind of pathetic uh, response. And both teams, of course, responded resoundingly on the field. They both lost. So uh, the the City of Angels, Los Angeles, my loser of the week. Kip, great loser of the week. I saw that statistic on Monday and just couldn't believe it. Um, you know, uh, I know a lot of those fans were probably hung over from the USC game, but my word, two NFL games. I mean, you you would expect when you add up the attendance of both of those games, they should uh, they, they 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 should be a higher number than what the uh, the game was with USC earlier in the night. Couldn't agree with you more. It's going to take a while. Uh, you know, uh, L.A. went uh, for a while there without the NFL um, in teams, and now they have two. Going to take a while to figure out how they can best manage that. Um, uh, but you're, you're exactly right. Great loser of the week. Uh, my winners and losers of the week, I'll start with the winner of the week. Very similar to you, Kip. My winner of the week is Mississippi State quarterback Nick Fitzgerald. Um, a seven-and-a-half-point underdog at home. Fitzgerald led his team to a 37-7 to thrashing of the LSU Tigers uh, in one of the most lopsided games of the weekend. Um, Fitzgerald finished the game at 15 of 23 for 180 yards and two touchdowns to go along with 88 yards rushing on 14 carries. This guy quietly was the second-leading rusher in the SEC last season overall behind Darius Geis of LSU, and, and he was a quarterback. Um, this wow. dude is a leader. He's a beast. He is 6'5", 230 pounds, and if he continues to have games like he had this past weekend, he just might find himself in a battle with the likes of Sam Darnold and Mason Rudolph to determine who will be the first quarterback taken in the 2018 NFL Draft. I got two losers of the week. I had to do it. My first loser of the week is the Auburn football program. What an awful 72 hours it's been for Auburn. Five turnovers against the FBS Mercer Bears. Auburn had to score a late touchdown to go up more than one score. Um to a team that they were so overmatched on that Vegas didn't even put a line on the game. Uh, then after the game, their backup quarterback, Sean White, fresh off serving a two-game suspension, uh, gets arrested on a public intoxication charge at 4.30 a.m. Sunday morning. He gets kicked off of the team because he broke the zero-tolerance policy that Malzahn gave him after he got caught smoking weed in the spring. Um, then, to make things worse, uh, yesterday, uh, six foot three, two hundred and eighty pound former consensus number one recruit in the country, Byron Coward, asks for and is granted his release from the Auburn football team. While Coward never really came close to living up to the hype. Um, that um, that he had coming into Auburn. It's very disappointing to see that, that Coward uh, will now never have a chance or the opportunity to develop more, to get healthy, and to uh, to be even a, a, a semblance of what we thought he would be. So now Auburn goes on the road to a reeling Missouri team, and somehow they are a 19-point favorite. Are you kidding me? Auburn football, my loser, my number one loser of the week. And secondly, my second loser of the week is Lamar Jackson, Bobby Petrino, and the Louisville Cardinal football team. 
what an opportunity they had Saturday that they completely blew at home to make a statement. Um, this game was never close. Clemson dominated the line of scrimmage the entire game, and the only reason Jackson's stats were respectable was because Clemson built up such a huge lead um, they defaulted in the second half to the prevent type of defense that um, that allowed Jackson to put up the late numbers. So uh, Auburn football and Louisville football, my losers of the week. My winner of the week, Nick Fitzgerald. Um, my most compelling game, I think, of the college football season, and don't call me crazy, Mississippi State and Georgia this weekend in Athens. I tend to agree with our college football guru, Kip Kiefer, that's going to be very difficult for Mississippi State coming off such a, such a huge home win uh, against LSU to go on the road and replicate that against a Georgia team of which I hate to admit, but might be for real this year defensively. So um, one of the most compelling games of the year, Mississippi State and Georgia, really looking forward to watching it. Um, Thanks for everybody for listening. Uh, we appreciate, uh, we always appreciate you tuning in. We're sorry for a little bit of the change in schedule. We're going to change it a little bit next weekend, like I talked about, and we're going to be back with you on uh, Wednesday, the 27th, and we're going to have a lot to talk about. We didn't think we'd have a lot to talk about this week in college football, and lo and behold, we did. But we're going to have a lot to talk about too. Who knows? Next weekend on the Red Zone Sports Report. We might just be talking about the Bills going two and one and beating the undefeated <laughs> Crazier things have happened, folks. Steve, Cheers, Kip, Jeff. Pete, thanks again as always for joining us. Thanks for everybody for listening. We'll catch you next Wednesday, same place, same time. Red Zone Sports Report. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.